0: I'm Kay Firth-Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Welcome back to In AI We Trust. Today we are so excited to have a very special show to offer, both because of the guests we're gonna be hearing from who are part of the American Bar Association, a former cabinet secretary, and a chair of their new ABA AI task force. So we're really excited to dig in. But before that, we're excited to have our special guest, co-host, Karen Temple, who comes to us with a wealth of background and experience. She currently serves as Senior Executive Vice President and Global General Counsel at the Motion Picture Association. She is one of the world's leading authorities on copyright. She oversees the association's legal affairs and content protection efforts around the world, but prior to the MPA, Karen served more than eight years at the U.S. Copyright Office, most recently as the Register of Copyrights. She has had policy and litigation roles across the U.S. government as well, in particular at the U.S. Department of Justice where I had the privilege of serving with her. And when she was senior counsel to the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, she has served at the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, and a litigation associate at Williams & Connolly. She's been a clerk, she has done it all. She has also made her mark in the Bar Associations, both DC and the American Bar Association. She currently serves on the Copyright Law Reform Task Force and previously was Chair of the Copyright Committee of the DC Bar's IP Law Section. And closest to home, we are so privileged that she has been a longtime board member of Equal AI. Karen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Miriam. It is always a pleasure to be able to work with you closely and to be able to do this podcast is just an honor with our wonderful guests.
0: Well, we are so lucky to have you both because of your deep insights and because you make everything fun. And what an important topic for us to get your insights and input on. Karen joins us today in her personal capacity as a longtime board member of Equal AI. Karen, thank you for joining us.
1: It is absolutely wonderful to be here. I am so privileged to be able to work with you on the Equal AI board, and it's just really exciting to be able to have an opportunity to do this podcast with you today and ask some really interesting questions of our guests in terms of developments in AI. And I will say that there seems to be a development in AI every single day. One of the ones that I think a lot of copyright lawyers are really interested in is a decision that just came down on Friday of last week from the district court in DC, in which the court found, I think, officially for the first time, something that a lot of people Figured what happened, which is that copyrightability requires human authorships, so that you cannot get a copyright if the work that was created was created exclusively using AI. That's something that the Copyright Office had announced in an AI guidance policy opinion, but now we do have a district court decision that has confirmed that policy opinion from the US Copyright Office. So every day there is a new development with respect to AI, it seems.
0: It does. And uh, it's good to know that so far, it looks like the courts are saying and the and the federal government in the U.S. is saying humans cannot be replaced. We still are in business. We also saw that in a development last June where a New York federal judge sanctioned lawyers who submitted a legal brief that was written by artificial intelligence. It was written by ChatGPT and apparently very well written. If, if you saw it, it's posted online. But it included citations that were made up, non-existent court cases. So other than a few facts, <laughs> it sounded like it was an interesting development, but malpractice to do so without reviewing, double checking, and obviously confirming that the cases were appropriate. And as a result, the attorneys were fined and the judge ordered the lawyers to identify and, and notify all of the judges who they falsely identified as authors of case law that did not exist. So as you say, more happening every day. And that is why I'm really excited today. We'll be able to dig in with two people who have given a lot of thought to how AI and the law can and should intersect. And that is former Secretary Michael Chertoff and Lucy Thompson. So let's dive in. Welcome to this week's episode of In AI We Trust. Today we are honored to be joined by Secretary Michael Chertoff and Lucy Thompson. Secretary Turtoff is the former United States Secretary of Homeland Security, and before leading the Department of Homeland Security, he served as a federal judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Earlier, during more than a decade practicing as a federal prosecutor, he investigated and prosecuted cases of political corruption, organized crime, corporate fraud, and terrorism, including the investigation of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Secretary Chertoff is currently co-founder and executive chairman of the Chertoff Group, a security and risk management advisory group, and senior of counsel at Covington and Burling. Lucy Thompson is also joining us, and she's the founding principal of Livingston PLLC in Washington, D.C., where she focuses on her practice of cybersecurity, global data privacy, and compliance, and risk management. She has also been appointed the Consumer Privacy Ombudsman, CPO, in 35 federal bankruptcy cases and currently serves as CPO in one of the largest cryptocurrency bankruptcy cases. Previously, as a senior engineer at CSC, a global technology company, Lucy worked on two of the government's largest tech modernization projects and served at the Department of Justice the American Bar Association which as you know is the world's largest voluntary association of lawyers judges and other legal professionals she formally chaired the ABA Science and Technology Law Section and is a founding member of the Cybersecurity Legal Task Force and has been a member of their House of Delegates since 2004 she has another appointment there that we're excited to talk about today thank you both so much for joining us for the show today secretary Turdoff, starting off with you You have a deep background in law and security, and you now lead the Chertoff Group, which helps organizations manage cyber, physical, and geopolitical risks, navigate evolving regulatory and compliance requirements, something we often talk about on this show, and you help them discover opportunities, how to create value in this environment. You recently released a framework for managing risks associated with artificial intelligence. Can you tell us, Secretary, when did you first become interested in the intersection between AI and your focus historically on security risks, and and how did you create this framework? How is
2: it intended to be helpful? Thank you very much, and I am really delighted to be on the show. So I got into this a few years ago. I actually had written a book called Exploding Data, which talked about the ways in which sometimes Unwittingly, we generate data about ourselves and how that then is then analyzed and used to target us, for example, with misinformation or to otherwise focus particular types of messages on what might resonate. And part of that was artificial intelligence and recognizing, for example, that the Chinese had accumulated literally millions and millions of data points about American citizens and were using, AI is a way of integrating it and making it useful, or as some would say, weaponizing it. So that got me interested in a growing intersection between AI and security. And then several years ago, a group was formed that I was asked to chair called the Transatlantic Commission on Election Integrity. It basically focuses on the issue of how do we protect elections from manipulation or interference on a global basis? It's co-chaired by myself and Anders Rasmussen, the former head of NATO, and it's an international group with representation from Europe as well as the United States. And we got into the issue of deep fakes, which are simulated videos that look more and more real that can be used to mislead people about whether someone is actually saying something when it's really just a completely fictitious image. So those things got me interested more broadly in the question of artificial intelligence. And in terms of thinking about how we might deal with it, maybe this shows my background as a former prosecutor, I thought we needed to break it down into various threats. And they really fall into three categories. One is the possibility that AI could be used as a way of breaking your cybersecurity, either finding your password, Simulating a person that you know so that you unwittingly (laughs) admit them to your network, even as we can talk about later, using the ability to analyze the sounds you made when you type as a way of detecting your password. So that's one category of issues, which is security. The second is if you're using AI affirmatively, how do you protect it from being manipulated or otherwise undermined with phony data? And then the third issue is what are characteristics of artificial intelligence that on could cause China, and that those who use AI will be paying attention.
1: Lucy, your background also includes significant experience in the legal and cybersecurity space, including your work at the American Bar Association. Can you tell us how and why you turn your focus to artificial intelligence? Were there aspects of your past work? or was it new questions surrounding AI that drew your attention to this area of focus? Well,
3: thanks, Karen. And it's an honor to be on this podcast with Secretary Chernoff and you and Miriam Vogel. Um, I was a white collar crime prosecutor at the Justice Department, and 25 years after my career there, I went to engineering school at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in New York and that launched my career in technology. I worked as a senior principal engineer at a global technology company where I became deeply immersed in cybersecurity and privacy issues and risks. In the ABA, I became chair of the science and technology law section, which has always been in the forefront of science and technology issues. When I was chair, I led an initiative to look at the mobile transformation, which was the hot button issue of 2012. These emerging technology issues have certainly come fast as we know technology moves that way. Our next issue in SciTech was the Internet of Things. And I wrote a book with one of our vice chairs of the AI task force, Cynthia Swick on IOT, policy, and legal issues. And then AI came upon us, and SciTech sponsored two national institutes, one on IOT and the other on AI. And we're now about to launch our fifth AI National Institute this fall in Santa Clara Law School, October 9th and 10th. So my focus has been on emerging technologies and AI is certainly the most important that lawyers in society at large need to focus on.
0: Well, we certainly couldn't agree more Lucy. And as you say, the legal profession like many, if not all professions, have felt the impact of AI and have seen how this technology is transforming both how we do our work and the content that we get to think about in in deciphering the laws and regulations. And the ABA has demonstrated its savvy and awareness of this development and its critical importance by the recent appointed chair, Mary Smith's creation of the American Bar Association AI Task Force. Mm -hmm where you serve as Chair Lucy, and I'm honored to serve with Secretary Chertoff and some others as special advisors to this exciting, important development. Tell us more about the AI Task Force. What do you hope to accomplish? And Secretary Chertoff, we'd love to hear from you as well as what your hopes are in joining as a special advisor. Oh, Mary Smith is a tech savvy
3: ABA president. She earned a degree in math and computer science at undergraduate before attending law school. So she's got her finger on this very important issue. So AI clearly raises very complex and challenging issues for the legal profession. And that's what the AI task force will focus on. We're planning on taking a comprehensive look at how AI is changing the practice of law it will focus on current and emerging issues that lawyers need to understand to stay abreast of this complex technology. And we expect to host programs, podcasts, webinars, and issue articles and guidance to help identify the implications of AI, the potential benefits and risks for law practice, and the possibility of it increasing access to justice, and make sure that AI is developed in a trustworthy and responsible manner.
2: I mean, I would add to that, I think that uh, AI is gonna create new issues for regulatory bodies, and those will have legal implications. Uh, it's going to also affect the way we try cases um, and present evidence. Just to give you an example, there's discussion now, and I was involved in the other day with firms that are beginning to ask how do we produce watermarks or other embedded signs that a particular video is legitimate as opposed to a deep fake? And when you're making a decision based on a video, let's say it's being introduced as evidence in a case. How do you give the judge the tools he or she needs in order to determine whether this ought to be admitted or not? And this is, you know, more complicated than it seems because initially when they ran deep fakes, it was pretty easy to tell. The image didn't blink or there was something about the movement of the face and the words that were coming out that didn't synchronize. But AI is getting better. And so, the idea, for example, of watermarking genuine videos so that anything not watermarked is questionable is one possible solution that the law may want to get involved in. And finally, there are some legal ethical issues about the degree to which you can rely on AI for giving legal advice or preparing briefs. There's a rather well known recent case where a lawyer relied on AI to produce a brief, and it was a well written brief. The problem is the cases were all made up and that did not impress the judge very much. So I mean, these are the kinds of things we have to focus on.
1: Truly a lot of issues with respect to AI and the legal developments. Well, Back to to Lucy, in addition to the new AI task force that you are introducing to the ABA, we have seen some important related developments at the ABA and the AI space. You were one of the authors of a recent resolution ABA policy resolution 604 on artificial intelligence. Can you share with our listeners what this resolution calls for, as well as other AI-related guidance the ABA has produced?
3: Yes, Karen, that resolution was the result of an ABA-wide working group that was convened by the Cybersecurity Legal Task Force two years ago, when it became very clear that AI was such a critical issue. So after many discussions and input from lawyers of all types of practice, we presented to the House of Delegates a resolution that called for human accountability, oversight and control and transparency The resolution was intended to provide some guardrails or guidelines for developers of AI as well as lawyers on how AI should be developed in a responsible and trustworthy manner. The ABA has been in the forefront on AI. Two years ago, the House of Delegates passed a resolution that called for attention on the issues that Secretary Chernoff and I have been discussing, ethical issues, bias in the practice of law. And in 2022, the House of Delegates focused on AI in the criminal justice system and passed a resolution about the use of AI and asked that governments at the federal, state, and local levels ensure that due process is used in pretrial risk assessment tools and that the data supporting the risk assessments is transparent, publicly disclosed, and validated, and also to recognize that an individual's criminal history and other criteria may reflect structurally biased applications of laws, policies, and practices, as well as conscious or unconscious bias. And finally, to add to Secretary Chertoff's point about disinformation, the ABA passed a resolution urging social media companies to focus on disinformation
0: in various ways to prevent its spread. So interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that context and information about some of the important developments the ABA has already brought about into this space. But As we're talking about these new innovations and these new considerations that AI is bringing to the legal world, I think it's important for us all to talk about what I think we all know well, and that is this is not the first time that the legal system has dealt with technological innovation. To the contrary, this is somewhat the norm in our profession, starting back with the advent of of fire. I'm sure there were some legal consequences back then, but more recently, the automobile, airplane, telephone, internet, as you talked about, the internet of things considerations. This is something we are in the habit of doing, of taking the laws on the books and applying them to these new considerations and these new innovations. And I would love to get your thoughts. Secretary, if you wouldn't mind starting off what do you think is the right approach to regulating and governing the AI systems in use? Is it sufficient to use the laws on the books, or do you think we're going to need to create new laws?
2: Well, I think one begins by going deliberately, but carefully, not just rushing in with, oh, here's a big, complicated regulation that's going to you know, address all the problems, because that's a very good way to stifle innovation. At the same time, you just can't be complacent and assume things are going to work out. So I think what's required is, first of all, a thorough understanding of the way the technology actually works and the way it's likely to work, and then an assessment of the risks, the upsides and the downsides of using the technology. And only when that has been assimilated can you begin the process of thinking, okay, what is a reasonable but measured set of regulations? And one might want to begin slowly and take a baby step first rather than coming up with a comprehensive scheme. I mean, that's the old traditional common law method that the judges didn't just come up with a big architecture, but they went step-by-step based on actual cases, determining what made sense and then building a structure that way. So I think in this case, we'll need to have a general understanding of the potential upsides and downsides of AI And then begin to look at the kinds of concerns we want to address. And in this regard, I have really three broad categories that I've been arguing to people are the three Ds that ought to govern AI. Number one is data. Making sure that the data you use to feed AI is accurate, unbiased, and that you're not invading privacy. The second D is disclosure. When you're using AI to generate video, audio, text, you ought to disclose to the viewer or reader that this is at least in part ai generated. And finally, the third D is decision-making. When you're making a decision affecting a human being in a material way, the final say ought to be in another human being's domain and not simply left to AI. We don't want to have AI deciding when to have a drone strike. They may put a red flag up, but we have to have a human being who decides whether something like that is warranted.
0: Well, thank you for helping us break that down. The 3Ds sound like a smart way to go and and really covering a lot of the risks and ensuring we can benefit from the opportunities. just wanted to ask one follow-up because... Clearly this guidance you're giving us is structured on the developments that you all have mastered previously in the legal space and Karen would love your thoughts as well as our guests, because I know all of you have looked at so many other models for how we've dealt with innovation in the past and would love your thoughts on what models you see from the past that can help us ensure safety, legality and security in AI systems. And particularly I know for Lucy and the secretary, a lot of your orientation to this work is in cybersecurity threats. And wondering in particular with that context, how that informs how we handle this technological change. And and again, making sure that it's a benefit and not just a risk.
2: Well, I can go first. I mean, I think we've, we've been measured and arguably a little slow on the cybersecurity side. Let me give you two examples. It's taken a while to come up with a regulatory framework that begins to govern. And I say begins because it's still a work in progress. When a company or or an entity has to disclose that it has been the subject of a cyber breach and what it has to do to notify third parties that may be affected. Likewise, the development of standards has been, again, measured, arguably a little too measured. We've put them out there as kind of aspirational, but only now is the federal government beginning to really impose disclosure requirements and other mandates that require critical infrastructure to adopt these and actually make them enforceable. And then a third area is Section 230. I mean, the, the beginning of, this, of the cyber age saw the legal approach to platforms being basically platforms like the telephone company. If somebody puts something up that's offensive or incites violence or is biased, that's not the platform's responsibility. They're, they're immunized under Section 230. But the reality is a platform is not the telephone company. It's a little more like a newspaper. And while we do protect newspaper First Amendment rights by making it difficult to hold them liable, we don't absolutely immunize them. So we're beginning to see a push now to modifying 230. Interestingly, if you look at the European model for cybersecurity, Europeans tend to be much more quick and, to be honest, a little more heavy-handed in using regulation to address problems. And I think Americans tend to be a little more hesitant and wanting to again use that common law method of taking it a step at a time.
3: So I could add to that. I think Secretary Chertoff's approach to be deliberate and thoughtful is very important. And that's what the AI task force will be doing, looking at all the issues in depth the ai task force members many of them are lawyers who are also computer scientists and engineers and they were chosen because they are deeply knowledgeable about ai and they also understand the technology so i think that's very important cybersecurity provides an interesting model and the this year in fact the house of delegates adopted three cyber resolutions which could apply to AI as well as cyber. One was that everyone should have a duty to adopt reasonable security. And then to focus on resilience, which is one of the themes of the White House National Security Strategy. And then two other resolutions, one focuses on lawyers and their duty to advise clients of their responsibilities under cybersecurity and also to include cyber in law firm curriculum. And I think NIST provides a good example of an effective strategy because NIST published the AI risk management framework, which is a follow on to the cybersecurity framework. And it provides a wealth of valuable information for lawyers and clients and members of industry as to how they should think about and address AI cyber challenges and risks.
2: I would add, by the way, the White House in the last couple of years has been much more energetic in beginning to actually lay down uh, particularly industry-focused requirements, as well as requirements on the U.S. government to up their game with respect to cybersecurity. And that's a welcome development. And I think there's been an AI conference at the White House too, and I'm expecting we'll begin to see some more energetic activity there as well.
1: And and I would just add, I mean, I, I think you were exactly right, Miriam, when you opened uh, to say that we we have been here before in some sense with respect to how new technological developments are going to be affecting our legal system. And with respect to the internet, that is exactly what happened. We saw both regulatory change, common law developments and legislative developments all trying to figure out how do we handle this new thing called the internet. And it's, it is it is likely that we will probably have to do the same with AI, where there will be a combination of applying existing laws that we have now, potentially legislative change to uh, affect certain issues that were not contemplated when those existing laws were developed, and regulatory changes also to help address some of those new changes. So it it is, you know, with the internet, we're still sometimes developing new law in terms of internet law. 20 years ago, I think there was, you know, maybe a couple of decisions or so, and now we have whole books and courses on internet law. And it's likely that in the future, we might have something like that with AI, where right now we have a few decisions coming out on uh, various issues, especially the copyright issues with respect to AI. But 10 or 15 years from now, we might have a situation where people are teaching whole legal courses on AI and the law.
0: I would just hope it's not 15 years from now. I hope it's much, much sooner than that. (laughs) I think we need them next year, but I take your point.
1: And following up on that, I mean, we talked a little bit about the the legal developments overall. Obviously, you know, lawyers are gonna have, I think, a a, a very strong influence on the discussions with respect to AI and, and how the current legal system might apply or need to be changed. Turning to our unique focus as lawyers, we aim to limit risk and mitigate liability for our clients, including liabilities that arise from AI. It is evident that there are existing laws that can be applied to AI right now. So what are the primary legal issues that you see that are raised by AI use right now? Maybe starting with Lucy?
3: uh oh, thanks, Karen. I think as examples, I wanna let you know about the six issues that the AI task force will be looking at this year, because it's a comprehensive list and there's many legal issues and statutes and rules pertaining to each one of them. But the first one is AI and the legal profession and the impact on the practice of law, which Secretary Chertoff discussed, And the ethical issues for lawyers, that's a very big bucket of issues that we'll be delving into. And then AI risks and how to mitigate them. And we've defined two different types of risks. One is design and development risks, such as cybersecurity, privacy, and bias. And the second area of risk is risks from the use of AI such as spreading disinformation, undermining IP protections, creating unfair trade practices, and perpetuating fraud. And the third area is particular AI challenges, such as those generated by generative AI. And fourth is a positive development, hopefully, which is the use of AI to increase access to justice. And our former chair of the Legal Services Corporation, Jim Sandman will be leading that effort for the task force. And then AI governance is a very high priority, including laws, regulations, industry standards, and best practices. And the secretary spoke about those. And then AI and legal education. And I mentioned the cyber resolution, which certainly encompasses AI. So those are the six
1: issues that will be focused on. A lot under that hat, definitely. So a lot of work, I'm sure, will be done.
2: I think that, that Lucy's identified the issues. I mean, I think to me, you know, one thing to remember is this. If you're a business or an individual, you can't hide behind AI. Meaning if you do something that invades privacy, you violates intellectual property laws, is discriminatory, it's not gonna be much of a defense to say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the AI. Because if you brought the AI into it and you ceded to it the authority to make the decision, you're gonna live with the consequences. So I think there'll need to be an education in general to the public about what AI does and doesn't do in terms of your legal rights and legal responsibilities.
0: Absolutely. If we just look at the court system and and what's happening right now, we see that, that neither lawyers nor our clients nor anybody should be turning away from the fact that AI does create liabilities. I mean, we love talking about the opportunities and the innovations that AI creates, But it's really important that we all, given the different purview and ways that we touch AI and and people who we work with, understand that there are liabilities. And often we're asked about, and we've talked a little bit today about the regulatory environment, but I think it's, it's really important that we talk about, Secretary, you mentioned the common law approach that we address this issue within our country case by case. And what's interesting is that means that each judge each jury will have its own distinct approach and touch on this purview on, on how we are taking on addressing and regulating AI to some extent. So we've seen already 10 class action suits filed against major AI companies. The 2023 Stanford AI Index Report indicated there are over 100 AI-related legal cases in the United States alone uh, in the last year in 2022, and that is of note 6.5 times more than in 2016. So we'd love to get your thoughts on how you see the courts addressing this issue. How do you imagine that this will play out in terms of lines of responsibility being drawn. You mentioned nobody can hide behind AI. Are there certain constituencies you think that need to be on, on greater notice given how you, the litigation space is playing out or is likely to play out? And if you have an opinion also would love your thoughts on is this the right space, is civil litigation the place where some of these determinations are best made in the AI space?
2: I think you know one thing about civil litigation is it does allow to you to use the common law method and to explore and to lay out the various considerations that affect decision to use AI and how it's used, etc. Um, you know one of the areas I think that's that's frankly going to emerge as a bigger focus than it has been is the fact that AI allows the collection of data about individuals and impacts on privacy much greater than most people understand, you know, because we generate data. We know there are things we do, you know, you go on social media, you go on Twitter, you know, you're generating data. But for example, you're generating locational data all the time. And there was, again, another uh, experiment that was done that disturbances in Wi-Fi in various locations can be used by artificial intelligence to determine where you are at any given point in time. So in addition to things that are obvious, AI will allow an accumulation of much more granular data about everybody's day-to-day existence than people realize. Now, I think we're gonna have to evaluate, and maybe civil litigation is a good way to do it, what is the positive impact of that and what's the negative impact of that? And then to me, at some point, when litigation reaches a certain maturity, then maybe you get the legislature or Congress to step in and to say, okay, what have we learned over the past period of time? And what is the takeaway that we ought to now embody in some kind of legislation?
3: So Secretary Chertoff is right. The use of data is a growing problem that people don't understand. I deal with that issue in my bankruptcy cases where very sensitive data is being sold often without any control. But as far as litigation, it has its pros and cons. It brings the issues to the attention of a lot of people. But one thing the AI task force is gonna be addressing is what's the knowledge base of the judges and lawyers who are litigating these cases because it's such a complicated technology. And one thing the ABA can do is to try to educate everybody so that decisions will be thoughtful and correct. There are many judges that have already started issuing opinions. For instance, Judge Stephen Faden of the U.S. Court of International Trade in New York issued an opinion about confidentiality of confidential client records. And the judge that Secretary Chernoff mentioned Judge Castell, when he sanctioned the lawyers for not using chat GPT appropriately, was kind of searching for a remedy in this case. And he actually raised a number of questions that lawyers and judges should ask about the capabilities and limitations of AI and the appropriate uses. So that's an issue that the task force is gonna focus on right away at some of our programs in the fall, trying to bring everybody up to speed, not just lawyers, but judges and members of the public. And finally, we're actually partnering with the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS, to try to educate judges. They've already done a great deal of work through a NIST-funded project and created materials for judges that should be very helpful in addressing these many civil cases and criminal cases that will be filed.
2: I think that I just echo that's very valuable. Um, I mean, I I was a judge, as you mentioned earlier, and I would say that generally speaking, the judiciary is not the most technologically savvy sector of the population, with some notable exceptions, obviously. And you you might also bring the federal judicial center into this, and actually run courses, introductory courses to AI, that would help the courts understand how this is gonna affect how they conduct trials, how they conduct even hearings or status conferences, as well as the legal substance of the cases.
1: Yes, there are a number of uh, various issues with respect to kind of lawyers and the legal system applying AI in their own work. We talked a lot about cybersecurity issues with respect to AI, but we've also talked about the infamous brief that was uh, written by AI and how lawyers might end up trying to use AI in their practices on the day-to-day basis. Are there going to be risks to lawyers in terms of their own jobs with respect to the use of AI? I know that a recent Goldman Sachs study estimates that 44% of legal work could be automated. Should lawyers be worried or should they be excited about the possibilities? Are there things that lawyers should be doing now to best position themselves to take advantage of AI technology in their own practices?
3: Well, people in the news are asking, are lawyers going to become obsolete? (laughs) Will AI replace lawyers? And I don't think that will happen. It may make lawyers more efficient and um, transform the way law practice is conducted. So this is an issue that the AI task force is going to be focused on at some of its early programs. And also uh, we're gonna be publicizing how various law practices and law firms are adopting AI and how they think um, that's enhancing their practice or creating risks. But we're also gonna be taking a deep dive into the risks that AI can create for lawyers, such as ethical violations, an example is putting client confidential information into DPT, which is then scooped up by the platform and sometimes even returned to others in some of the responses. And many lawyers don't understand what those risks are. So we're gonna be trying to advise people on those immediately.
1: Secretary Chertoff, do you have anything at, to add? I know you had discussed the, 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 the famous ChatGPT brief in terms of the fact that it was initially well-written, but then we found out that all of the cases they cited were actually not real cases.
2: It, that, to me, comes to one of my D's, which is decision-making. I think a lawyer, or he or she submits a brief or some kind of formal document, needs to read it over and double-check it. On the other hand, you know, starting out Associated the Law Firm many years ago, I remember being sat down and told to go through like 50 depositions and summarize them, which was mind-numbingly boring. And that's a great example of where uh, uh, artificial intelligence could eliminate work that frankly nobody really enjoys doing. So I think, that, again, properly used, it can be a real benefit, but you also need to double check your work
0: exactly the right place to land. It can benefit us. It can reduce the number of paper cuts on our fingers from due diligence work, but certainly cannot replace, hopefully, the creativity and ingenuity that I know you all bring to the clients that you've worked with and the cases that you've prosecuted. Well, I'm sorry to bring this conversation to a close, but We are here and so I wanna finalize with the question we ask each of our guests on the show and that is by removing the obstacles. So if we gave you a magic wand and you were able to use this magic wand to ask for a wish that would help us achieve responsible, trustworthy AI, what would you wish for? Secretary, we can start with you.
2: I guess I'd come back to my my three Ds. I wish for um, a legal regime and a regulatory regime that's clear about what data is available and what data isn't available, and also assures that people treat it accurately, I would have a requirement of disclosure. And finally, to go back to the point we were just making, to make it clear to anybody who's got a position of responsibility that they ultimately own the responsibility, and therefore they have to be involved in the decision.
3: I would say many industry leaders have called for the adoption of strong ethical principles for AI and its algorithms. And nobody has said exactly what those ethical principles should be. So my wish would be that we could establish clear guiding principles and attain some consensus among industry leaders, government officials, lawyers, members of the public. And that's something that we're gonna work on in the AI task force to try to see what those guiding principles might be and, collaborate with our stakeholders and lawmakers to see uh, what consensus could be achieved.
0: Well, this is exciting. So Secretary, you've given us a vision and a framework with the three days to work off of. And Lucy, you have so much work underway. It sounds like the ABA AI task force has its work cut out for it, I should say us uh, as advisors and, and the numerous people you'll have helping to solve these really important and timely questions. So thank you both for taking time to share your insights and talk with us more about your important work in this space today.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Miriam. Well, Karen, as we thought, there was a lot of content packed in there, a lot of good frameworks and points for us to think about and digest. What were some of the big takeaways for you?
1: Well I would say one of the biggest is just the fact that the ABA is going to take a leadership role in terms of the development of frameworks around AI and helping to guide lawyers about the appropriate and ethical use of AI. So I'm really excited to see that task force. It seems like they're going to be handling a lot of different issues and 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 providing input and also advice in some sense to lawyers as we navigate these issues that arise. So that was uh, one of the biggest points that I think is going to be very helpful to the day-to-day uh, of the average lawyer. The other big takeaway I had was Secretary Chertoff's discussion about the 3Ds. I thought that that was a very interesting way to approach AI, and it really did already set up some framework in which to to have that the various legal conversations with respect to AI. So that I thought that that was a very helpful way to frame all of the legal discussions around the use of AI. So the ABA task force and the 3Ds were two big takeaways that I think will really be helpful as we continue these conversations about AI.
0: I couldn't agree more, Karen. I really liked how the secretary said, humans cannot hide behind AI. I think that's the bottom line here. We can use it to accelerate, to innovate, to be creative, but at the end of the day, it cannot be an excuse for uh, a harm or a liability or a problem that we've created. And and so, like you said, giving us the structure of this very helpful 3D framing is really, I think, instructive. And I like that uh, within these 3Ds, he's touched so much of the potential risks that AI could create for us thinking about the data. Obviously one of the most fundamental if not the most fundamental ingredient of AI and really unpacking it. What is in it? Is it accurate? Is it biased? All the different potential rights that could be violated, privacy and otherwise, through just the data that we are using to inform the AI systems and train the AI systems. Disclosure, a common topic in all of our legal discussions and and considerations, making sure that if you're going to use AI that you have put people on notice, if their data is being used, putting people on notice, it's a basic form of respect and transparency, a way to build trust by demonstrating that you respect people enough to, to share this disclosure. And then in the decision-making, making sure humans are in the loop, giving thought to when is that right piece where humans should be weighing in and, and making sure that at each step where there needs to be human intervention that does happen. So a really thoughtful approach to responsibility, taking responsibility for your AI use. I'm hopeful that the ABA task force can take on all the important elements. It couldn't be more timely to take on these issues, make sure that the judges are ready, make sure that lawyers are giving deep thought to the policy issues and implications. So very excited for the work they're doing, honored to be helping, supporting, in in some way. And also excited for our legal paper that should be coming out soon that will hopefully help inform some of these questions of what are the laws out there that lawyers need to be aware of in their current practice that are touched by AI, where AI could be creating liabilities and they need to make sure their clients are on notice. So I thought this was just a great conversation, so informative, and so glad I could share it with you, Karen.
1: Thank you so much. No, it was a great, great conversation. And I had a wonderful time speaking with you as well as uh, Lucy and Secretary Chertoff. So I'm excited about how we're going to approach AI in the future and all of the various legal developments that are going to be coming up you know as i mentioned earlier we we had to go through this with respect to the internet in terms of you know applying our legal principles to the internet it's another exciting time to really see what the possibilities might be in terms of the use of ai but also making sure that we have a legal framework that allows us to use ai responsibly so it's just a wonderful uh, conversation to have
0: Yep, it's not our first innovation rodeo. We have seen developments before. This certainly takes on new twists and turns, but yes, luckily our guests and so many of the lawyers and you, our special guest co-hosts, have seen these innovations play out in the legal space before. There are many models we can learn from. And I love that we're landing on your message of enthusiasm and optimism. So great place for us to land. Thank
1: you, Karen. Thank you so much. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play,
3: or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and
2: www.weforum.org
0: and a special thanks to NP Agency without whom this podcast would not be possible.